What I want to talk to you about tonight, just for a few minutes, you can find in Matthew chapter 8 in the New Testament, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8. Uh, and it's like this, the, the, the disciples of Jesus who were fishermen are out on the lake in the boat. And uh, this storm blows up, which... You can presume from the few verses of the, the story that are there must have been a pretty, pretty much a honker of a storm because um, these experienced fishermen um, finished up being afraid for their lives. So, so you kind of get some idea on the intensity of this, this storm that's, that's come up. Um, it's evident from reading the story, which I'm not going to read, you go away and read it, I recommend you do, that uh, their feeling was that unless, unless something supernatural happened quickly, there was only going to be one possible outcome to this experience. Now, that may have been an over-exaggeration of the reality of the storm, but them being experienced fishermen, you would have to say the storm must have been pretty bad for them to feel that way, and even if they were over-exaggerating, you kind of you get the picture. Um, the truth is, in most of issues in life that, that occur, we develop an over-exaggerated conclusion to the events as they are taking place and our reaction often in those events is more a reflection of our over-exaggerated conclusion than it is the reality of what is taking place. The problem is that as we behave according to our perception of what is happening, um, the collateral damage can be, can be quite scary. Um, I wonder if these disciples would have been quite so influenced and concerned by the circumstances they faced if it hadn't been happening to them. Um, I first talked about this, not just the story, but this message was rather funny because I have two, two things that I, I, I want to teach. One is about us and the other one is about something I misquoted a few weeks ago. And they were on my mind, but it's like almost by... I would call it just a supernatural moment of something. Uh, I found myself reading this message, which I, which I initially preached in 2003, the worst year of my life. And I found it interesting because my reflections on this were coming from evaluating what was a storm that had blown up in my life that um, I was not neither expecting nor was I prepared for it, uh, and somehow I feel that this is something that some of you need to hear tonight because often storms blow up in our life that we were not expecting and we, we were not prepared for. Chris wrote a song after this thing talking about this storm blew up all of a sudden, and um, if we don't expect storms in life to blow up, the truth is we are extremely naive about the process of life. And yet, sadly, in that naivety, we are often very unprepared for the storm. One, one of the things these storm in life 
do for us. They actually, they expose what's in the deepest recesses of our being as opposed to this nonsense that we're often dealing with, you know. Um, I love what, what uh, one guy used to say, that Jesus didn't say, by their suits you will know them. He said, by their fruits you will know them. Uh, and you and I are, are, are both guilty of, of um, this issue in life where we gloss things over. We, we, we try to give an appearance. We... we sometimes deliberately, but not always deliberately, are, are covering up the real issues of the heart, sometimes because there was never enough of a storm to expose what was really there. Um, another guy one, once said as well, which I thought was very powerful, he said, you cannot tell the character of a man by his actions, you can only tell them by his reactions. You understand that? Our true character is not exposed through our actions, it's exposed through our reactions. Or in other words, when the storm comes, how, what, what comes out of you then? Can relationships survive when the storm's there? Can, can forgiveness still come when the storm's there? Can you still be faithful when the storm's there? Can you still be kind when the storm's there? Can you still have faith when the the storm's there because the truth is whatever you find when the storm hits is the reality of what's really deep down in here. And sadly, um, all of us to some degree at various points don't make the grade when the storm hits. And that's probably the wrong word because actually in God's eyes we do make the grade but we don't, we're not willing to face what it is that we see when that comes up. So, so for all of us, the, the key points of our lives that, that actually give us a measurement, an indication of where we are and how we're likely to go on uh, only happens when the water starts splashing in your boat. It, it's very easy when the water's in someone else's boat to look on very piously and uh, offer nonsensical words of advice. I mean, for example, you know, someone loses a child and some idiot comes and says, oh, God must have wanted another angel in heaven. It, people like that should be taken out back and given a good slap in, seriously. It's utter and total nonsense and is not helpful because they wouldn't want you to say that to them if they'd just lost a child. So we've all got to be aware that when the water is in someone else's boat, there has to be an empathy, which Chris talked about the other week, and the compassion that tries to appreciate that certain emotions and certain, certain feelings and certain pressures are coming to the forefront because there's water in that person's boat. Be kind to one another, right? If you don't understand a person's story, don't presume to be qualified to judge their actions, right? And I mean that for everything, in every arena of life. Whatever a person's choice are, if you have not taken the time to understand their story, do not presume yourself qualified to judge their actions. That's why very often there are boundaries to the love that is both given and that people expect. 
People with different issues who feel if I came into church, I wouldn't be loved. Isn't it sad that anybody should ever think that? That the, the, the communal sense should always be, if I need to be loved and accepted, I know there's one place that I can always go. Regardless of who I am, what I am, what choices I've made, there's a place that I can always go. That, that, should, be, that should be this place called the church. So, so these guys now are having a crisis because, because the waters are in their boat. Now, what's interesting is Jesus is with them. But they don't find Jesus' presence with them helpful because while all this nonsense is going on, the Bible says Jesus was asleep on a pillar in the back of the boat. Now, that's hard to get your head around, isn't it? You know, if this storm's this bad and there's water swilling around. And, um, you know, some people will say, is it allegorical, the story? Is it, is, that a, is it metaphorical? You understand those terms that didn't really happen, it's just a story. Well, you know, I, I'm quite happy to accept that it, it really happened. You know, I, if there's anything that Jesus was, I know he was different, uh, a little strange. I mean, you're sleeping in the back of a boat. There's a storm going on. But also very, very, very capable and able in his strength and in his presence and his power as God incarnate to resolve the situation. So, so this is the situation that we find ourselves in. And he finishes up with um, uh, Mark's version of this. He says that they said to Jesus, don't you care that we're getting killed here, we're dying. This, um, so we can even come to the point in our faith where we think God is being unhelpful. Okay, The, the where are you God syndrome. Um, why aren't you sorting this out? How can you sleep while, while we are in such fear and terror? That, that scenario can replicate itself um, across the whole sphere of human experience. Um, have you ever been really hurting and felt that other people just didn't appreciate how much you were hurting and if they did, they'd really hurt like you were hurting? Um, and so we get all disturbed because our conclusion is you obviously don't care. Uh, the truth is, Jesus cared enough to be asleep. Because he did not have an over-exaggeration of the situation, because he was not viewing it through the same perspective and context that these men were viewing it through as an experience in their lives. So we can even become judgmental of, of friends, leaders, people, ministers, a feeling that the person doesn't care, if they're not as frightened as we are, if they're not as disturbed as we are, if they're not as angry as we are, if they're, if they're not as, as offended as we are, they obviously don't care. But you see, you don't need somebody in those situations to be as frightened as you are, or hurting as much as you do, or as offended as you. You need somebody who's not. Right? So, so sometimes the di desire for this empathy can take us into areas where we actually want to dictate what the empathy looks like. 
okay? Jesus' empathy for their fear was to stay asleep. Partly because he was trying to get them to exchange what they were feeling for what he was feeling and was quite happy to assist them to make a transition uh, and and to make a, a conversion from the fear of their circumstance and the peace of his presence, okay? One of the interesting things about this is that, is that um, they were wanting something supernatural to happen. The storm was bad, don't you care? When actually the supernatural was already happening. Jesus sleeping through the storm was pretty supernatural. But we often don't see supernatural happening on our behalf unless it's spectacular. Uh, we, we really like the spectacle, don't we? We like, we like our supernatural to be, you know, fireworks and visible. When actually, sometimes we're thinking, God, where are you? If only something supernatural would happen, this would be resolved. When actually the supernatural thing is already happening, okay? The fact that Jesus is in the boat changes the situation, Okay? Asleep, awake, whatever. The fact that he's in the boat already changes the situation. Now, I personally believe that this story is true, but it is also allegorical and it's also a metaphor because it's an indicator that when we hit the storms of life, Jesus is already asleep in the back of the boat. Okay? Now, why is he asleep? Because he's not a Liverpoolian who gets all up and settle down, settle down, okay? The favorite thing that Jesus had to say to people was what? Peace. Fear not. Peace, okay? So there is an essence in all of this that we all need to understand that when we're in the storm and the storm has hit and we're confused and we've over-exaggerated everything and we're expecting certain things, that whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever race, whatever creed, whatever religion, whatever belief system, Jesus is in the boat. And that if we can engage the process that that begins, then we get the same outcome that those disciples got. The ultimate outcome was that Jesus stood up and said, why are you afraid? Oh, yeah, really, that's a really bright question, isn't it? Experienced fishermen have been through all kinds of experiences, but this time they're afraid for their lives. They think we are going to drown is what they said. We are going to drown. And Jesus asked the question, why are you afraid? Which suggests to me that the question has to go way beyond the circumstances that we face in our life. That often our fear is rooted in something much deeper and the current experience that we are facing. Because Jesus didn't say, oh, you have little skill, or you have, you know, little, little boatmanship and naval ability. Uh, he actually finished up saying, oh, you have little faith. In other words, you still haven't got it, have you, that if Jesus is in the boat, your life doesn't need to fall apart and become a wreck just because the storm hits 
and because water's in your boat. It's a story of empathy for those who are getting water in the boat, and it's a story for those of you or us who've got water in the boat that says there's hope in this situation. So the one or two lessons that I, I just wanted to, to share with you. One little thing I was thinking that is interesting, that if Jesus was laid in the back of the boat, um, one of the problems is that there were other boats on the water that day that nobody could see that Jesus was in the boat. So the temptation could be, you're going through all this, if you only had Jesus in your boat, this wouldn't be happening to you. Because you couldn't see him, he's laid in the back of the boat, he's down there, you couldn't see him. And people have far too easy pickings for us when they've got a storm in their life for us to say, if only Jesus was in your situation, you wouldn't be going through this. But you see, you couldn't see Jesus. He's in the back of the boat. He's asleep. He's laid down. Keep it shut. Stop being self-righteously clever. I grew up with, with, with confusions in my fear because... On the one hand, I was being told, um, if you're being attacked, and we didn't mean like, you know, down Priory Street on a Saturday night. It's like, you know, if, if, if stuff's going wrong in your life, you know, if, if you're about to lose your job or the sickness and all that stuff going on, if you're being attacked, it's because you're doing the will of God and the devil wants to destroy you. And then this crowd over here was saying, if you're being attacked and you've got sickness and and, and, and you're facing financial challenges and all this kind of stuff, it's because, it's, yeah, it's because you're out of the will of God. It's because you're being, so one, you were being attacked because you were doing God's will. The other one, you were being attacked because you weren't in God's will and it was all very confusing. Not helpful. See, the truth is sometimes we can't see Jesus in a person's boat and we might be tempted to say from the circumstances that we see that Jesus is not around and he's not in this. You've not learned true wisdom when you do that. My personal belief now where I am and thankful for the journey that I've walked and, and what I discovered in my deepest, darkest hours back then when I put this message together for the the first time. My personal belief is Jesus was in my boat. Jesus was in our boat. He was in lots of people's boats that I saw. And uh, I see a Jesus who is asleep in people's boat. Now, why is he asleep in people's boat? Because he wants you to come to peace about his presence with you and for you and towards you. That his presence is not dictated by the storm being there or the storm not being there. Okay? That's why I don't like, I don't like any more um, prayers that kind of say, oh God, we're in trouble now, will you come and help us? It's like, well, where, where, where's he been then? He's in the boat. So here's a few little lessons that, that, that come from that. Lesson one, just because things got rough for you doesn't mean they got rough for him. Right? There is never a situation in your life that has gotten rough for him, for Jesus in your life. We sometimes think that what bothers us bothers him. We think that what bothers us about other people bothers him about other people, and I've learned it doesn't. 
And when we stop messing around with that stuff and realize that actually the things that get rough for us don't mean that they've gotten rough for him. We have a hope because there's somebody who can get us through the rough patch and out of the rough patch and deliver us and speak to the waves like Jesus did there and say, peace, be still. And suddenly, as sudden as the storm came up, calm comes back and, and peace. See, this is not a test of his faithfulness. It's a test of your faith. And sometimes we get confused about our faith and the faithfulness of God. Our faith is a variable. The faithfulness of God is not. Right? So God's faithfulness never shifts. It's only our faith that shifts. But often because our faith is shifting, we attach that to the faithfulness of God. And that's where you get silly doctrines like, you know, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You know... God's pleased with me today, God hates me tomorrow. God's faithfulness is never in question. That's lesson number one of this. It's not a test of his faithfulness, but of your faith now. It's lesson number two. The disciples' conclusion was the result of three things. Number one, the type of problem measured against their current level of knowledge and understanding. That's very important because... The problems we face are always measured against our current level of knowledge and understanding. So therefore, as I said to you earlier, the problems can take on a whole image of their own that are not the result of what the problem actually is, but the result of our current level of knowledge and understanding. And what happens in that is instead of your problem getting lost in his greatness, somehow his greatness gets lost in your problem. And we start to lose hope and we start to lose faith. So, so, so here's part of the lesson. Don't let his greatness get lost in your problem because you think he doesn't care. Let your problem get lost in his greatness and the moment you do that, the situation is already beginning to, to turn around. The second thing, the, the apparent lack of intent and action by Jesus in his response to the situation. Okay? So their conclusion was the result, second thing, of the apparent lack of intent and action by Jesus in response to the situation. We've said he was asleep in the boat. How should you interpret that? What does it imply or mean? I don't know whether they really thought he could do anything about the storm, but he should at least be as disturbed and terrified as them. These are the kind of things that, that are going through through their mind, apparent lack of intent and action by Jesus in response to the situation. Um, that's why I like his question, why are you afraid? It's almost like, it's like, it's like somebody throwing a tantrum and you slapping them, <laughs> you know. It's like, it's just not the, not the appropriate um, if, if, you, if you're bright enough to understand it, we often get a slap from God. It, 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 you know, we, we're doing our thing, we're, we're throwing our dicky fit about, about, you know, nobody cares and nobody loves me and I'm not understood and this has happened and the storm and, and, and God will give you a little slap. Sometimes it, it, it's gentle. The book of Hebrews talks about, it's not, it's not a punishment slap, it's a, one of those discipline slaps, you know, wake up. It was funny last night. I was, um, uh, I had a little slap because I, you know, I was, 
you come back, you're thinking about stuff, and I, I, was, I was questioning um, my grasp of what I feel that it is that God actually called me to. So I flipped over the TV. I had two choices. Did I want to watch God Channel or Rugby? I really enjoyed the rugby. It was great. Um, but then I was flipping over, and I flipped over the channel at half time. No, it was just, it was at the end, because Chris had just come back in after, you know, laying in a bed of sickness. Remember, we used to lay in bed of sickness. Remember that, Eunice? Lord raised him up from his bed of sickness. Um, and uh, I flipped over the TV. I'm thinking these things while I'm watching. I've got several things bouncing around. And lo and behold, I flip it on, right? Braveheart is on the TV. And it's right at the part where, where Wallace and the men are lifting their kilts to the, the English press. Now, those of you who know a little bit about my, my story, you know, I have been the kilt lifter for as long as I can remember for that reason, you know, hence my Twitter account at Rock Kilt Lifter. Um, little things like that are just God saying, stop being stupid, pack it in, stop dwelling in your little moaning and questions and all that stuff, storming the boat, watering the boat. Jesus waking us up. And so you need to be aware that, that, that those things happen to us and usually when we seem to be gripped by an apparent lack of intent and action by Jesus in response to our situation. And then the third thing was a faith deficiency uh, which can actually go undetected without a challenge. I said a little bit about this earlier. Um, Understand this, the storm had nothing whatsoever to do with the lack of faith. And the storms of life have nothing whatsoever to do with the lack of faith. Okay, that can be a confusion. Don't let anybody put that, that condemnation upon you that this is happening because you have a lack of faith. Stuff happens in life. Storms happen just like this one. It didn't happen because they had a lack of faith and it didn't happen because of a lack of faithfulness of Jesus. It happened because storms come in our lives and we can't avoid the fact that they're going to happen. But what Jesus began to challenge in this thing was the faith deficiency, okay? The faith deficiency that, that couldn't let his presence be greater than the circumstances. That couldn't appreciate that if he was asleep in the boat, actually, this storm was going to pass. And it was going to be okay. And we're going to live to fight another day. So the indicator of the quality of our faith is not found in the nature of the problem, but in our reaction to it and our dealing with it. So stuff happens, you know, why do some people get cancer? Why do some people who have a deep love for God get things like cancer? That's not, that's not an indicator of the quality of, of their faith. But the quality of our faith is not found in the problem, but it's found in our reaction to the problem and, and how we deal with it. I, I get so proud when I see uh, you guys in the storm with a problem and how you react to it. I get some of my greatest fulfillment to see that I think, well, this was all worth it because when the storm hit and when the problem came, you showed yourself to have a heart fixed on the Jesus who sleeps in our boat and his presence and you let his greatness absorb the problem rather than let your problem absorb his greatness. 
Because the truth is, if they'd responded to his reaction, which was sleep, rather than reacting to what they believed was his response, he doesn't care, maybe they would have felt the surge of divine enabling to calm the storm. But what they didn't do was respond to his reaction. He was asleep. Now, the key thing of this, and sometimes it can be hard to grasp, but that's because we have so been geared up that the only way we can get out of anything or do anything or fix anything in life is by what we do. So even our old concepts of God and salvation and, and Christianity have become corrupted by the idea that it's about what we do. Even from the beginning of the process of what, what we would call generally salvation, it's become about what you do. Which prayer did you pray? What did you do? to accept Jesus. Now, I think there are things that help us in our response to who Jesus is and things that are very important. I've responded myself in some of those ways, but I've realized it wasn't what I did that actually made what was possible become a reality. That just allowed me to grasp it. It wasn't wasn't like I have to put my money in the slot to get the gift to come out. It's like the gift was already there and whatever I did prayed was only a response from me to show my engagement with and embracing of what had already come. That, that's God's salvation. When Jesus told a guy, you must be born again, he was trying to speak to him in terms that would allow him to embrace and accept what was already a reality to make it a reality in his life. And that, that's why making commitment and responding is actually important, not in the context that it makes God do something, but it allows you to to make a step to show your embracing of what it is that that has been done. So the problem is we, we get this culture of even from how we become a Christian and then being a Christian, that becomes so heavily influenced with the process of, 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 of doing that it has to be something that we do when actually the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of peace. It said that he is the prince of peace. Okay. And that so much of the issues that we struggle to resolve are not because we fail to do enough It's actually often because of what it is that we are trying to do, because what we're trying to do is a reflection on how we have perceived the situation, when actually the key is that when we see that Jesus is asleep in our boat, it doesn't become about what we do, it becomes about who we become. We become become confident in his presence, his love, his care for us, And that stops the feelings of don't you care that we're perishing. We're trying our best to get through this storm when he's saying, well, you're going to get through this storm because I'm with you and I'm here. And and when we start to lose ourselves into into that mystery of that divine presence in our lives, the truth is it stops us stressing and fussing and reacting and acting to try and resolve the situation to realize if we rest in who he is with us, something very different happens because the challenge doesn't become what is anybody doing to help me and who's this and do you care? The issue becomes can I embrace what it is that he is able to do to set me free from this situation? 
And that's why Jesus didn't say, you're not trying enough, you're not working hard enough, for goodness sake. How long have you been fishermen? You know these waters like the back of your hand. You know, if only you'd done more, if only you'd faced in the right direction. Listen, I've heard all that. You know, it comes out like this in church life. If only you prayed more, if only you read your Bible more, if only you were here more, if only you talked to more people about Jesus. All those things are good, but, but I don't see Jesus getting up and saying, if only you fishermen had done all the stuff that fishermen did, we wouldn't be in this situation. He said, you have little faith. In other words, your focus of response to resolve the situation is in the wrong direction. And the reason we hit breakdown, the reason we don't get a breakthrough, the reason relationships collapse, collapse, the reason endeavors come to nothing is for that very simple reason that that we are of little faith in, in the one who's actually with us, who is peace, who says, if you, if you, or you have little, not all oh, they who haven't done enough and these who haven't worked, but there's an issue here in the context of, of your faith. Now, there's another little side issue to that just before I finish, which is this. That the disciples were afraid and Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. So, So there is a connection between fear and being of little faith, okay? Uh, And there is a a divine equation that that is fully life applicable that says where faith is little, fear will be great. How many of you know we lose faith in someone in a relationship? Our fears about, oh, what are they saying about me? How do they feel about me, right? How they Facebooking about me? That the moment, the moment we lose faith, then, then that, that space, that void becomes filled by fear. And so for all of us, it's a lesson tonight because most of us have more than what we would think is our fair share of fears about stuff. It's only filling the void that should be filled by faith. But you say, faith in what? Faith in people? No. Faith in yourself? No. Faith in the economy? No. Faith in the government? No. And if you say faith in God, I would say "Mm, kind of, but not. I would say faith in the faithfulness of God. Faith in the faithfulness of God. Of God. Or in other words, the fullness of his faith will never shift. That's why he's asleep in the boat. His faithfulness to me is committed to a resolution to this situation. So the little thing I wanted to say there before, before we just make our final comments is that there's a wonderful statement in the book of John in the Bible, 1 John, not the Gospel of John, that says, perfect love drives out fear. So the truth is, love is connected to fear, which is connected to faith. So if, if the void of my not putting faith in his faithfulness allows 
fear to arise, and perfect love drives out fear, the solution to that is first of all to get back to know that I am loved. I am loved beyond anything I deserved. I'm loved, in, as Brendan Manning says, in grace and in disgrace. I am loved when I sin. I'm loved when I think I've done righteous. I'm loved when I do what I ought to do. I'm loved when I do what I didn't ought to do. I'm just loved because that's the essence and nature of the love of God. And when I appreciate that how much I am loved, he said, that allows space for the faith in his faithfulness, the faithfulness of his love that drives out the fear because when I don't allow that to happen, then the truth is the storm very rarely gets a miraculous conclusion. And the wonderful thing of that is that it's never been about how much you love God. And it never will be. Now, you ought to love God. It's good to love God. The trouble is, one of the Old Testament laws was you have to love God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. There's not a man, woman, boy, or girl in here who has ever done that and ever can do that. Right? All your heart, soul, mind, strength. So, so that law was given to show us that if that's the rules, we're all screwed, basically. That's what Jesus is about. Without Jesus, we're all screwed. Right? Because there's no rule on this earth that you could keep that would allow you to love God as he deserves. So don't think that what I'm talking to you about today is that you have to love God as he deserves. You have to let yourself be loved by God as he feels that you deserve to be loved, okay? And loving him back is a bonus to his heart. But you know the greatest, the greatest delight for God is not you loving him, it's him loving you. God is delighted tonight because he, he gets the chance to love you. And I think sometimes the worse that we are, the more delighted he gets because the greater draw it puts on that love that he so desires to give to you. So these are connected. Faith, love, and fear. Don't let the void in your life be filled with fear. Just fill it with faith, okay? Because if they responded to his reaction, which was sleep, rather than reacting to what they believed was his response, that he didn't care, they would have felt the surge of a divine enabling to calm the storm. That's there for you and it's there for me. It often comes very gently but it comes very fully. I am a survivor of some pretty horrendous storms in the last 10 years. I remember um, sitting by a pool in India because we go on our holidays when we go, you see. Happened to be sitting by a pool, wrestling with some news that I'd just received that I, the water was in my boat. In a big way, again. And I've had many experiences like that, but the wonderful thing is, here I am. Loved by God, knowing that Jesus is asleep in my boat and that when it's necessary at such an appropriate time, he'll get up and he'll rebuke the storm. What I really love is he didn't say, oh, you have little faith, you better resolve this. He said, oh, you have little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the storm on their behalf. Why? Because it wasn't even their faith that was making him rebuke the storm. He was just sad that they would be filled with so much fear when it was unnecessary. The faith was not for them to have to resolve their own storm. The faith was that if you fix this and the fear goes, your storm will get resolved because someone else speaks into your storm and that person is Jesus.
I was just remembering today driving in. Um, in March, April, May, June, early July of 1956, um, I, was, uh, I was given up for dead. I'd been given just several hours to live. Well, next March I'll be 60. See, that situation for my parents, not knowing what to do, the same Jesus who spoke to the storm on that boat on the Sea of Galilee spoke to the storm, and I'm here today because that storm was calmed. I, I, it, it's something I've experienced, it's something that's, that's true, and it's something that I want you to grasp. So my last point, I'm going to change a little bit because... Back in 2003, I put this, we tend to, this was my third lesson, we tend to dialogue with disaster rather than rebuking it. Jesus one day said, speak to the mountain and cast it into the sea. Okay. What do I mean by we tend to dialogue with disaster? We get so involved in the problem we're facing that we start to have a conversation with the problem and the more we have conversation with the problem the more the problem intimidates us and the more we find we can't believe that we'll ever get out of this and the more fear rises in our heart because we were stupid enough to start dialogue with the problem and your problem will always want to have a dialogue with you because there's something about problems I don't know what it is but something about problems they want to stay and get worse don't they in the Old Testament, there's a story of a giant called Goliath and a guy called David who faced him. And uh, What I love about the story is David didn't open dialogue with the, with the giant. David just said what he believed. He said, this day, you're going to fall. This day, you're coming down. And I think that that's what Jesus meant when he said to his disciples, listen, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, and it shall be done. Now, I actually don't know so much whether it's the mountain that hears the words that we speak or whether, whether it's Jesus behind us. O'Reilly has a little electric car and it has a remote control. And when he first got it, he thought he was driving it. But Dadad was driving it. And I think sometimes our lives are like that little electric car that sometimes we think we're driving it, but actually Dadad's driving it. And when the mountain moves and when the psalm stops, it's not because of some pious ability that we have gained. It's not because of some fantastic prayer that we have prayed. It's because Daddy's behind us and he's working the controls, but he wants us to feel that we've been driving that vehicle. He calmed the storm through their faith, little though it was, and the storm stopped. And they were amazed. They said, this is phenomenal. The words were even the wind and the waves obey him. So why didn't he just get up at the beginning? I wish he had, because uh, that would have saved me a lot of problems in life. <laughs> but he didn't, because life is what it is, and we are who we are, and we have a life to live, and 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 and. As people, we have a personality and a purpose in the earth and, and God works with us in that purpose. But the wonderful thing is not why didn't he get up at the beginning. The truth, he was always in the boat and he spoke to the storm and when we partner with him, peace comes on our life and we get deliverance and they got back to the shore. Okay, I wanted to bring some hope tonight. 
to the many things that you struggle with and I struggle with. And how we respond to those situations, because like the disciples, we don't think he cares, we don't recognize he's still in the boat, and we don't appreciate that our void in our life has been filled with fear instead of faith, and that when we make an adjustment to that, that's why I say you don't have to believe that you can stop a storm in its tracks. You just have to believe that he's with you and he's faithful. That's all you have to believe. He's with me and he's faithful. He's with me and he's faithful. You don't have to resolve the problem. You don't have to come up with the solutions. You don't have to produce the answers. You just have to understand he's with me in the boat and he's faithful. I I believe in his faithfulness and he's with me in the boat. When that happens, I believe the Jesus who stood on that boat in Galilee 2,000 years ago does the same in our situation. And all of a sudden we find in the midst of our anxiety that a voice has spoken to the wind of the waves and has said, peace, be still. Don't be afraid of the storm. Let's pray just for one moment. Father, in this place tonight... You know all of our lives, you know all of our circumstances, you know everything that we face, you know everything that we are struggling with. You know often our faithlessness rather than our faithfulness. And you know how often our faith does not connect with your own faithfulness. But tonight, Lord, just in this moment, I pray that each one of us makes a shift and makes a decision to refuse the intimidation of the fear that comes about the situation that we were in and to receive the peace that comes because you are in my boat, you are in my life, you are here with me, you're in every life in here tonight, you are present. Let those who've never engaged, Father, in a full knowledge of your presence engage tonight in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you that as we do this, you're speaking to our storms, even now, you're speaking to our storms. We don't need to be afraid of the storm you are with us and you will never ever forsake us and that your perfect love experience casts out the fear so that our faith can come back into that void and so the storm of our life can be filled help every one of us as well father to be utterly compassionate about everyone else who's in here let it not be an I and me but let it be a we and us so that we feel empathy and compassion towards those who have the water in their boat and don't feel judgments and condemnation and criticism but rather a sense of compassion and the sense of friendship and help and hope. Let all our words to each other be words of peace and words of kindness and words of encouragement and not words of destruction because we want the same spirit and attitude that were in you in that boat to be with each one of us here, even in this boat called the rock, towards each other. But thank you, Father, that we can rest in you being at peace, knowing that your heart is at peace. You are not distressed by anything that is happening to us, but you feel it deeply, but you're ready to speak a word. So I release miracles across this, this room tonight, Father. I release miracles of the voice speaking to the storm. And for many people in here today, that this will be the last day and the last moment of the storm that they're in right now. We speak peace, be still. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I think we're done. Be blessed, we love you, and uh, hope to see you on Wednesday, or if not, we'll see you next Saturday.